602 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. We're kicking it off with Adnan Verk from MLB Network in just a moment here. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. To the phone lines we go. The first round of the Major League Baseball playoffs. Over like that. Now there's no baseball till Saturday. Joining us now, Adnan Burke from MLB Network here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Adnan. How are you? Mike, Jason, I'm good. Well, fellas, I wish the baseball was going a little longer. I'm with you. I'm going to get so excited with the playoffs, and then all of a sudden all four teams get dusted. That's it. So we take a breath today and tomorrow. But I do think the division series is going to be a lot of fun, and hopefully uh, we'll at least go four or five games rather than the two-game sweeps we all just endured. Oh, we were joking because we came in here on Tuesday previewing the Jays' twin series. Then Wednesday, we were talking about being on the brink of elimination, and then Thursday, we're doing the autopsy on the Blue Jays. Like, that happened fast. That was real quick. <laughs> anyway, look, I, I, we did a lot of the sort of post-mortem on the Jays earlier in the show. I, we saved the decision to lift Barrios so we could talk about it with you because there's a bigger issue at play here than just what the Jays did, and it's the sort of, like, analytics revolution, which is not even a revolution because it's been around for forever and it's part of the game now. But those decisions in particular, I think most famously with the Tampa Bay Rays and Blake Snell from a few years ago, where do you lie on this issue? Because yesterday, John Schneider defended it as an organizational decision. And then one of his players, Whit Merrifield, came out and said, I hated it. The exact quote was, it's not what cost us the game, but it's the kind of baseball decisions that's been taken away from the managers and baseball at this stage of the game. There's a lot of different directions we can go in this conversation, Adnan, so take it away. Yeah, Mike, first and foremost, I was surprised when I saw it. I was disappointed when I saw it. Um, Barrios clearly was amped up, was fired to be there in Minnesota. He's had a terrific bounce-back season. I expected him to go five or six strong, you know, pitching in the seventh inning and really feel confident that this was the kind of start he could give the Blue Jays. And then game three, who knows what can happen, right? Instead, when he gets that hook, I said, 47 pitches. you got to be kidding me. He must be hurt. He wasn't hurt. And um, I thought it was a head-scratcher. Now, I get it. As you said, this isn't surprising. If you've been paying attention to baseball in 2023, it, it takes about a half a second to go, okay, yep, analytics decision. They want to just have a different look. And you go with a righty to a lefty and try to you know mix up the lineup a little bit. But I, I thought it was a poor decision just because – there was no indication that he was tiring at all. Like it wasn't like he had a couple of three, two counts or was in trouble. Like literally one guy reached base and you go to that quick a hook. Um, I just didn't agree with it. I didn't care for it. I don't think it's second guessing because it was first guessing at the moment. I said it's wrong. And you're right. Blake Snell. That's the moment you always think about. That was 73 pitches, mm-hmm. you know, but by, by contrast, that's like he threw 110 pitches, like 47. And that's it. That's it's pretty surprising. But I like the fact that John Schneider said an organizational decision because he's right. Anybody who's saying fire Schneider, he's an idiot. They're missing the point. This isn't John Schneider acting rogue. He's a part of a conglomerate making this decision with Shapiro and Atkins. And maybe they're dictating to him, here's what's going to happen. Maybe he's in agreement on it. I'm not sure what the specifics of it are. But it's not coming from him. We all know that. That's what Merrifield said as well. So I, I, you know, I take issue with people saying John Schneider's got to go. Like, sure. no, no, this was all part of the plan from top to bottom. Furthermore, 
I agree with Witt's point that it didn't it didn't cost him the game. I, I said those exact words to Sean Casey, Yankee hitting coach, now back on this MLB network, and Harold Leno. And I said it didn't cost him the game. You know, they lost the game because they couldn't score runs. They scored one run in two games. A feeble offense once again was inconsistent when they needed it most. And I said that to Sean immediately. Harold him because oh, it did cost him the game because he goes at that point it's a scoreless game. Like who knows if Barrios gets a double play ball and all of a sudden they're out of that thing. So you can't tell me oh this doesn't change the game. It absolutely changes the complexion of the game. And um, like I said, as a baseball fan, it's just frustrating because the Twins they win their first postseason victory at home since the '91 Game Seven World Series, which aside from the Jays is my favorite World Series ever. Last to first, and Jack Morris pitched a ten inning shutout in Game Seven. I. I miss those days as a baseball fan when the starting pitcher would go deep and the joy of seeing him go deep and seeing if he could stymie a rotation, whether it's you know Bob Gibson or Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens or, or Jack Morris on instance. So I, I don't care for it. I understand that the way baseball is today, I got it. Like I'm not, I'm not late to the times, uh, but uh, I think it's just frustrating and annoying to watch as a baseball fan. I would have wanted to see Barrios go six or seven innings, and, and it wasn't even a jam. I was about to say I wanted to see him get out of a jam. <laughs> One guy reached base. It's not even a jam. It's frustrating to see, but. We'll talk about the other stuff with this Jays offense, but that's specifically disappointing. Well, I mean, that's the crazy part is like Schneider said, oh, yeah, Barrios was electric in those three <laughs> innings. Like it wasn't like, yeah, he's middling his way through. Like he had his stuff. He was on. At a certain point, someone has to put a hand up and say, wait a minute. I know we had a plan, but the plan has changed. We got to ride this for a little bit longer because you took out a guy after the, what was it, 40 pitches? Like it's it's not it's not even remotely close to being a good decision. I don't care what the numbers play out. You had a guy that was dealing. You can't just shut it down because you had an idea of what you wanted to do going into the game. Yeah, forty-seven pitches is crazy. I mean, for a starting pitcher, it's not like, as you said, Mike. It's not like he's coming off short rest. It's not like you know, it's late in the season or something. It's not like an injury. Like no, he's fully rested, amped up, ready to go against his former team, and. um it's not shocking anymore. Blake Snell was shocking. When that happened, you go, oh, my God, that is one hell of a quick hook. Joe Buck even said that in real time while calling it a plot. Now it happens. You go, oh, man, this again? Would you just accept it? But I like what, what Harold said to me on the set. He goes, just once, I want to see the front office take the bullet. You know, just once, I want to see Andrew Friedman in that instance with the Rays. This was not Kevin Cash's decision. This one's on me. I'd like to see Dave Roberts, who's had a couple of quick hooks. It's not me. It's Andrew Friedman. In this case, Shapiro and Atkins go, no, this is not John Steiner. This was us. Because then at least you can take the blame once in a while. Like, don't send the manager out there as a sacrificial lamb. We know it's coming from the organization. And there's a lot of great things that analytics do. Of course, it makes the game smarter, and you should be as smart as possible because baseball is the, the thinking man's game. But in this instance, it felt like a dumb decision, and it really felt that way when you watched the end of the game. How would you grade the Shapiro-Atkins era in Toronto? I, I think it's it's interesting because They've had success in terms of building a core and young talent, and they've tried to supplement. But I, something's clearly missing, Jason. I mean, uh, to, to go from last year, okay, you made the playoffs, great news. And then you lose to Seattle, and you go, well, you know, it's a short sample size. It's a three-game series. You blew a seven-run lead, fine. Manoa wasn't great in game one. Like, all right, let's just get back at it. Let's focus on run prevention, which I think was a right decision. Okay, sure. Dalton Varsha, terrific defensively, but really came up lame offensively. There's no question about it. He's been disappointing. Feels like he hit 25, 30 home runs. Meantime, Moreno hits a homer for the D-backs. They're moving on against the Brewers. Gurney L's an all-star. Like, that That trade did not work out well. Kiermaier is a pending free agent. Who knows if he comes back? But he does what he needs to do, certainly defensively. And pitching-wise, their starters are really good. But the problem was just a maddeningly inconsistent offense. And the moves they made to try to supplement just didn't work out. Like, Alejandro Kirk's a good example. All right, 
this is our catcher. Then he has a bad year. Jansen's the backup. He gets hurt. Then you already trade Moreno, who has a really good year. So, like, that's an instance where he made the bad decision. But I, I think on paper, I would have also gone to Andre Berg. I think he probably is the best catcher of the three, and the guy just, just had an offseason. You know, Chapman I thought was a good move when they acquired him. But his offense after the first month is terrible, mm-hmm. and his defense isn't good enough. You know, he's hitting 240, 17 home runs. That double play was an absolute oh, killer. I mean, do you go from a, 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 a bright, you go from a pitch, you go, oh my God, that double tie game to all of a sudden double play. That, 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 that just can't happen. And he's going to leave the team, reuse a pending free agent. He's going to be gone. Brandon Belt, I thought was a good signing. You know, he's a free agent, but I did think he actually contributed well, gave them a little bit of left handed punch, which they needed. And uh, the aforementioned went Merrifield, and Mike mentioned, <laughs> clearly calls up the team. He's got an $18 million mutual option, so I'm sure that'll get declined if he won't be back either. But. Yeah, I, I think they're smart guys, and I don't think this always can go in the front office. But it hasn't worked out yet. And guess what? you got two more years here of Vlad and Bo. So this thing's got to get fixed out pretty quickly. Yeah, so wh- where do they go from here? They've got some pretty big questions facing them uh, this offseason. Um, first of all, they got to replace all the guys that are leaving. But also they got to ask themselves, you know, is Alec Manoa... Uh, salvageable, um, and and are we ever going to get back 2021 Vladdy, or do we need to make some alternative plans? Yeah, I asked Steve Phillips, I think I already told this to you guys, but I asked him last week, the former Mets GM, about trading Vlad, and he said, if you traded him, it'd be a Juan Soto-type trade, right? He's got two yeah. full years left, you've got four blue-chip prospects, but I don't think they'd have the stones to do it. Like it's just That's a really ballsy decision. It doesn't strike me something Toronto would want to do. Having said that, the... the, the <laughs> unyielding image of Vlad from this year is going to be flopping back to second base getting picked up. Oh. Just inexcusable to oh. have that happen. I mean, unbelievable up there, right? Like it, it's, it is unbelievable. Like unbelievable. It's, it's tough to believe because Boba shuts up. Who's ostensibly your best hitter. If it's not Vlad one base hit, shoot that ball to right field. What Sean Casey said to me on set, he goes, you shoot that ball to right. We're going to tie game. Jays are back in this thing. Mm. And instead you know, he runs the count full. <sighs> I mean, and, and, and I tried to give him a benefit. I go, maybe this is a stupid question. But maybe Vlad's trying to get every single inch because he knows basically I got to score and tie the game. But as Case immediately said to me, he's but there's a runner on third. Like where are you going? He's not going that far, <laughs> that's where, right? He goes that's where your primary lead is not that long, and then your secondary lead. Yes, of course. Once the pitcher's done, then you can take a big jump and go. I got to get. I got to score no matter where this ball is at. Period. Um, now Harold went the other way. He said to me, "Listen, you got to get props to the team because that's a hell of a play by Correa." And we asked Sonny Gray after the game, and he told us it was all Correa. He said. Yeah. Carlos noticed in the first inning, he said, it's way too loud. Those guys on second are not hearing the third base coach saying back, we got to play here. And he called it in to the, to the dugout. Catcher's like, yep, pitch come. Pitch come literally just goes, pick off. And something great, execute it. Like, as a baseball fan, you go, that's a hell of a play, man. Like, that's just a smart heads-up play. And, and Sean and Harold said to me, because you don't understand how much that fires up your team. Like, you go on that dugout, you go, oh, my God, dude. If we were on the ropes there, oh, my, hit a bomb, and all of a sudden we're down 3-2, and instead we get out of it. Like, it was amazing. So, Heads up to Minnesota on a terrific play, but but thumbs down to Vlad. Like that's just a boneheaded play of what was an underachieving season. It, it, in many ways, it feels apropos because the story for the Blues is this year was underachieving, and that's exactly what happened in the playoffs. And and again, an inconsistent offense. So, in answer to your question as to what happens next, I have no idea. I don't think they're going to trade Vlad. If anything, I think they try to sign him now because his value is lower. Say, so, hey, if we get a discount right now, lock up Vlad. But we still got two more years here at Bo, and who knows what happens with the Noah. And I mentioned those other guys, like you're going to need a new third baseman. Chapman's gone. I think they'd like to re-sign Belt to the DH slash first baseman. Kiermaier leaves, okay. Uh, Chad Green, Jordan Hicks, a couple of good relievers. Like You can figure those things out. But the big question remains their offense, and how do you score more runs, period. 
We're speaking to Adnan Verk from MLB Network here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, Jason wants to talk about Philly. I know we could go on about the Jays for like another hour, mm-hmm. right? I, I get it. There's a lot to unpack here, including the fact that I just want to well, put a bow on this conversation by saying that the two great defensive plays that Minnesota made in this series in both games uh, also came at the expense of the Jays' biggest name guys. Like one right. was Vladdy and one was Bo. And it's going to be hard. And and, be- and didn't they both represent kind of like the criticisms of each player? Like Bichette is always trying to play hero ball. Mm-hmm. And Vladdy is just kind of... Got caught napping. Got caught napping. Right. So when, yeah. when this gets played out over the next week and Shapiro and Atkins have to meet with the media and everything, those are narratives that are going to be unavoidable, right? Now, we'll pivot here because the Philadelphia Phillies are yeah. still playing ball. And really different dynamics around these two teams. Well, and, and I just... Like, what's going on in, in Philly? I know they got to the World Series yes, last year, so the fans are obviously going to be excited. But, you know, I, I feel like there's something more special going on with Philly and the relationship between the fans and the players. There's, like, billboards being purchased to <laughs> thank the fans. And, like, the fans have, like, it's Philly fans. And now they're being, like, they're the most encouraging fans in, in the world, it seems. Like, what is going on with that Phillies team? Because... That Philadelphia Atlanta series could be awesome. Yeah, I'm a lifelong Eagles fan, so I took two of my boys on Sunday to the link. And the reason I mention is because that area is incredible. I don't know if there's any other area like it if you're a sports fan. Right where the Lincoln Financial Field is where the Eagles play is Citizens Bank Park where the Phillies play. And then you have Wells Fargo, the Sixers, and the Flyers. So you have this incredible convergence, and Philadelphia is as passionate a sports city as you get. And, of course, Eagle Green always rules the day, but – they love their Phillies, man, and there is such passion around this team right now and such genuine excitement, and it, it builds off of what happened last year. Just make the playoffs, make a run. They do so. They get to the World Series. Let's build again. And you had another sense. Okay, a bit of a hangover early on. Trey Turner took a while to get adapted, but you know he thanks the fans. They reward him with a huge ovation, and since then he's been demonstrably better. And I'm with you. I think that this series could be incredible, and I could totally see again the Phillies upsetting the Braves. You know, the thought going in is when I look at the playoffs, I go, eh, kind of feels like Astros Braves, but it doesn't always go according to script. And the upset you could definitely see is Philadelphia because of the fact they've got a top two pitchers in Wheeler and Nola that can match up with the Braves lineup. Like the lineup of the Braves is stout. There's no question about it. One through nine, these guys are going to mash. But Philly's lineup can mash as well. Like there's no doubt those guys with Bryce and Castellanos and Schwarber and Trey and all the rest, but they're going to score runs as well. So I feel like pound for pound, they can score runs with Atlanta and the Braves pitching staff looks a little leaky. Like, I know Spencer Strider's a great pitcher, but I could see a couple of Phillies take them deep and a couple of gopher balls. They still win Atlanta. You go back to Philadelphia, they've been incredible at home. These last two months, they've been the best home team in baseball. To your point, just that, that attachment they have right now in the city and playing well at that bandbox. Also, Charlie Morton's not going to pitch in this series. That's, that's a loss for the Braves. He's their game three starter. Max Reed's coming off the IL, may not be 100%. So I see a little bit of vulnerability here with Atlanta, and I could see Philadelphia beating them for the second straight year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Atlanta's the team, the best team in baseball for a reason, but I'm with you, Jason. I think it's going to be a great series, and certainly if you're a Philly fan, you're encouraged by how good Noah looked because he has been subpar this year, mm-hmm. but seven innings, three hits, none earned, one walk, three Ks. They completely shut down the Marlins and looked great yesterday. It is striking, though, isn't it? Like the, the attitude in Philly for a team that won 90 games, and then you compare it to what I've said is almost – uh, disdain for the team from Blue Jays fans. Well, the Blue Jays won 89 games 
And maybe we should talk about the Mariners who won 88 games. So that's like not a big difference in these teams, but the Blue Jays, we've already talked about them. Let's talk about the Mariners because Jerry DePoto had a disastrous press conference after that, uh, after the, the collapse of the Mariners down the stretch where he seemed to suggest it was everything was rainbows in Seattle and also got a little bit condescending with some of his comments to a fan base that has never experienced even going to a World Series, let alone winning one. Yeah, I think for Seattle, it's odd because last year they take that step forward of finally ending the well-documented longest playoff drill among four professional sports. And you just assume they're going to take the next step forward, which is at least make the playoffs, win another series, or perhaps win a division and make some real noise. Instead, they underachieve badly for the first half here, despite the fact they've got a quartet of excellent starting pitchers. It's their offense that's really hit and miss. You know, three of their top seven hitters were top ten in strikeouts. But the second half, they catch fire, have an incredible August, were well-documented, but then stumbled down the stretch. And the numbers that I can't forgive when looking at Seattle is they're sizably better against teams of losing records versus teams of winning records. And that, to me, is an indication that you're not a very good team. Because ultimately, if you just beat up on the bottom feeders, but when you're faced with actual good teams, well, guess what the playoffs is? It's all good teams. It's not like you go, well, we'll run into a number five star. No, it's all their best players. So if you can't beat good teams with success, Ultimately, you're not a very good team. So I think for Seattle and Jerry DePoto, you know, he knows that deep down. He's been around a long time. Surely he's not going to appreciate criticism, uh, perhaps more sensitive than others in this instance, because they had higher expectations. But their offense is what let them down. I mean, no question about it. They just they, And they weren't good enough against good teams. And because of the fact it went down the wire, like you, you watch that team in August, you go, undeniable, the Seattle team is going to make some noise. To not even make the playoffs – and yet the margin of error is so close, right? The Rangers were in first place 160 days. They were in first place 148 of 149 games, and yet they missed out on winning the division. And I think that would have changed everything for them. I think if they get that by, I'm like, hmm, that's pretty impressive. Now I'm like, I don't know how the hell Houston doesn't beat up on the Twins, and I hope a really good series of Baltimore, but I'm not convinced. So it's why every game is so critical, and unfortunately for the Mariners, they just, they just ran out of gas down the stretch. Uh, so Saturday shapes up to be a pretty awesome day of baseball, especially out here on the Pacific time zone. You get Texas and Baltimore at 10 a.m., Minnesota, Houston at 145, Philly, Atlanta at 3, and then the nightcap, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Dodgers at 620. So until Saturday, we wait for baseball, and then we'll do this again next week, Adnan. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the ball this weekend. should be fun. Yeah, I can't wait, fellas. Quadruple header on Saturday. It's going to be awesome. Have a great weekend. YouTube, thanks. Thanks, Adnan. That's Adnan Virg from MLB Network here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Okay, as we dip and dive at the Halford & Bruff Show, we're like dodgeball. Dip, dive, dodge. We're going to go back into the Canucks stuff because you asked the listenership here, this beloved listenership of the Halford & Bruff Show on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. How are you feeling? Not in general. I don't care what your feelings. We want to know how you're feeling. Tired. Right. Gassy. Yeah. But how do you feel about this Canucks team right now? Because this Canucks team is now less than a week away from the start of the regular season. Last night was Wednesday night. That's a week from next Wednesday, which is when they start mm-hmm. against the Edmonton Oilers. How do you feel? The same way. I've kind of said it like I've, I've said. Yeah. This is going to be a boring answer. Right. But it's the same way that I felt when I saw what they did in the offseason and what they were going into the exhibition training camp preseason with because I'm like they are I hate putting it this way because it it might sound negative but it's not they are this season what Winnipeg 
in Calgary and Nashville were last season, which is fringe playoff teams. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg was a fringe in the playoffs. Yeah. Calgary and Nashville were fringe out of the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's what they are to me. They've got everything that you've pointed out lacking from this roster. I agree with. Yeah. The defense, I don't love the way that they're going into the season with it. Don't love the fact that Mikheyev isn't available right off the get. And I don't think that they have a perfectly suited roster to play the kind of hockey that Rick Tockett wants them to play. That said, I think that there's more than enough there to be that kind of team that I alluded to, which is around 90 to 95 points and right on the fringes of making the playoffs. Right now, I feel like I'd be surprised if they were a disaster like they were last year at the beginning of the season, like they were the year before the beginning of the season. I'd be surprised if that happened again. Mm -hmm. But I'd I'd also be a little bit surprised if they made the playoffs. I wouldn't be surprised if they made the playoffs. A little bit surprised. I hate talking like this, but some mid-teams do make the playoffs every now and again. Mm -hmm. It happens, right? You know, things, things go your way. Things, opportunities break. I mean, again, I go back to last season. I was watching down the stretch a Nashville Predators team. Granted, they had exceptional goaltending in UC Soros, but they were being carried by Tommy Novak and Luke Evangelista (laughs) and Kiefer Sherwood. Well, well, it's nice that they stepped up for the Preds, right? But but it was unexpected. I mean, it's not like these guys were high-end, blue-chip, elite prospects. They were just guys. Don't are you slandering Luke Evangelista? I knew it was coming. Again. I knew it was coming. I, I guess I guess I'm still struggling to see how the Canucks lineup all works together. Does that make sense? Because I mean, you haven't I mean, look, you you haven't seen a lineup featuring three guys who are gonna be leaned upon pretty heavily this year. Bluger, Cole, Susie. Mm. They're gonna play pretty important roles on this team. Bluger, less so maybe, but these other guys too. And then you gotta throw in you also really don't even know what you're getting with Heronic. Yeah. So there is a big chunk of this team that quite frankly you haven't seen play together that much. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong for wondering I don't know what it's gonna look like. It's because you don't know what it's gonna look like. You know certain things. You know what good Demko looks like, yeah. healthy Demko. You know what PD and Hughes look like. And at part of the time, I think it's why we're guilty of glossing over how good those guys can be mm-hmm. because we've already seen it. Yeah, yeah. Especially with Hughes, it's not part. It's not. It's not a problem. No, right. <laughs> that they have to solve. So we're like, we okay, love those pointing out problems. Those guys are givens, but the rest of there's there just seem to be a lot of question marks with the roster. Like, is there going to be enough depth up front? Are they going to score enough five on five? And then on the back end, just like all of the questions, right? Yeah. Like, how, how's it going to work? Like we haven't discussed the possibility that there's still another level to Hughes's game. And to what he can provide you. Because let's be clear, if the ceiling for him is a Norris Trophy winner, and I think it's within the realm of possibility, that means that there'll be more to his game. I think like there'll be a higher goal-scoring total. I mean, he could theoretically dominate to the level of what we've seen out of Kale McCarr in Colorado, what we've seen out of Yossi in Nashville. and I mean, to a lesser degree... And I know it didn't translate to wins, but what Carlson did in San Jose last mm-hmm. year, those are elite level seasons. And Hughes well, he is, had an elite level season. But there's but incredible. I'm saying if there's more to give, which sure. is crazy to think, that could put this team over the top. If Pedersen comes back with another hundred point campaign and does it for a team that's, you know, playing less freewheeling hockey. <laughs> I think it's very unlikely. If the Canucks play the style that 
talk it has. I think there's going to be Patterson. a dip across the board offensively. Yeah. Like Kuzmenko, I saw some people just being like, yeah, you can pencil Kuzmenko in for 40. I'm like, I would not write that in anything. <laughs> yeah, no chance. I mean, yeah. scoring 40 goals in the NHL, I know scoring is up compared to the last, you know, compared to six or seven years ago. But if the Canucks are going to play more low event hockey, and if they're going to be um, more focused on like game management, that yeah. sort of thing. Like you're not going to see those run and gun games that we, that we've seen before. Like Rick Tockett doesn't want that. And I think one of the most discouraging things from last season was like, they did have those great performances from Pedersen and Hughes, and it didn't add up to anything. But coming up on the show, we're going to dive into the Dunbar lumber text message inbox. And we're going to see how you're feeling. You know what else I'm feeling tired of this, I want it to get going. I I now lack patience. I'm ready for games of consequence to start happening because it feels like we've been doing this song and dance about how important the start is. Hashtag the start feels like we've been doing it since June and it's October 5th, right? Let's just get it going. We're now six days away. I want those six days to be over as quickly as possible. Let's see what we got. Let's see what's going to happen. Let's see what happened when the games count for real enough of this. Enough of who, you know, these half-baked lineups and games that aren't televised. Let's get it going. All right. Let's let's move it forward. We're gonna move it forward on this show. We're gonna dive into the Dunbar Lumber text message in basket. Your thoughts on the Canucks. How are you feeling about this team six days away from the start of the regular season? You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Talking all Canucks all the time. It's Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are in hour two of the program. Open segment time in hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling. They recycle, you get paid. Visit them. At 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Okay, prior to the break, we asked everyone to share their thoughts and feelings about the Vancouver Canucks. Remember, we are now just one preseason game away from the start of the regular season. Just six days away from the start of the regular season. Uh, Kevin on the road weighed in early with a question. Kevin wants to know, will scoring be an issue this season for the Vancouver Canucks? My takeaway from last night and parsing through Rick Tockett's audio, and you got to remember, a lot of this post-game stuff, half of it's fluff because it's not even the real lineup out there. Yeah, You know, coaches try and answer questions as basically as they can, but I thought it was interesting that he said, we've been missing the net a lot. (laughs) (laughs) We're not hitting the target. We're not bearing down. Now, the reason I find that interesting is because I have followed teams and been around coaches that play a low event, close to the vest, let's not open this up style of play. Mm -hmm. And one of their fundamentals is 
when we do have scoring opportunities, it's really important that we convert them because we are not going to be a team that creates scoring in bunches and we're not going to create a ton of scoring chances. We need guys that can seize an opportunity and convert that opportunity. Now, when the coach of a team that plays like that says, yeah, we're not really hitting the net that often, mm-hmm. kind of not alarm bells, but you're like, okay, you're going to need to finish your supper, basically. That's going to be, and I use supper, not dinner. But also, I'm like, a 90 year old man. But, but also hit the net and create rebounds. That's another part of it. Because he you also know? talked about body positioning. Mm-hmm. And body positioning is be right at the top of the paint mm-hmm. so that when a puck comes loose, bang, you're there. Yeah. Knock it home. Mm hmm. This is all a big change for a team that, quite frankly, didn't do any of this stuff. They just went out and played yeah. last year for large stretches of it. I mean, there's a reason that guys like playing for Bruce Boudreau. It's fun. Right. Not when you're losing. That kind of hurts. But Yeah, Bruce never made us go to the net. He's like, just go some, out there and create some, some chances. Yeah, sometimes when you go to the net, you get like a stick in the face. And you know what? That hurts. Yeah, like, you know. You, like that. Yeah. You just go. Go play. Stay. Do, do it from the perimeter or whatever. Just go play. So, so to, to answer, answer the question... Scoring will be an issue this year. At times, I think there's going to be instances where you're like, what happened to 39-goal Kuzmenko? What happened mm-hmm. to 100-point Pedersen? And it's not because they're, uh, they've lost their touch or they're in a slump. It's because they're now playing a game that does not lend itself to gaudy offensive statistics. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting because there are some people that will say, if you clean up your own end, the defensive side of the game, um, that should create chances for you on the on the rush. Right? I have heard, but 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 let me just finish okay. here. Okay, I think that's true. Sometimes it's also true that the Canucks last season were cheating for offense. Yeah, like those things are true. Yeah, right, and that's why they gave up so much defensively, but also managed to score at times. Right, I think I think there's I think it's. You can say, in theory, if you clean up your own end, mm-hmm. that you can score more because you're going to have the puck more, et cetera. But I don't know if the Canucks have enough offensive talent at five on five to take advantage of that. So, yeah, but they're, they're basing this season as if they do. And they're basing the, the talk at higher and the structure and everything that they're going to do that they do have enough high-end talent. I mean, that's that's plain and simple. No, but, like, in order to... This is kind of hard to explain, but like in order to take advantage of being a good defensive team and having that translate into more offense, you need it th- from from lines one through four. Yeah, like no one should right? be expecting like, more goals like total I, I, this year. I, I think this Canucks team would be like I don't think they expect to score more. Let's just put it that way. Based on the style that they're going to play, they should not expect to score. I more. think in the Canucks, <laughs> no one case, should expect them to score. I more. think in the Canucks case that. Their commitment to defense is going to cost them offensively because I just don't know if it's going to translate into a lot more possession or a lot more scoring chances because I don't know if they I think they just want to play like you've said multiple times. They just want to play more low event hockey and have games that are maybe one all or two all because you get. Those games to overtime sometimes. I mean, we've like we talked about give themselves a chance to win games. We've we've talked to enough NHL coaches who have said not necessarily like clear as there. If they do, it's off the record that you don't really coach offense in the NHL. You coach defense. Mm -hmm. Like you defend. That's what you do. That's what coaches do. And it's funny as I take it to the soccer world. Like I've read 
a lot of the high-end football managers have like sort of creeds or manifestos about how they want to approach a game, right? Or a match or the way that they want to play. And I've read countless ones that have said the defensive third and the middle third of the pitch, that's where I coach. And in the final offensive third, that's where the players get to do their their creativity. And they, they you want to almost free them from the shackles, mm-hmm. right? So that philosophy doesn't exactly play over to hockey, but the, the concept of it does where it's like, Tockett's going to put certain structures and systems in place. And rules. Designed to keep the puck out of the net. When it comes to putting the puck in the other net, it's going to be things like, yeah, we need to hit the net more when we get our chances and stuff like that. I think that's how the season's going to go. Uh, I got another. This is a good question from Earth into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. Funny question, but I also think it's worth exploring. What do you guys think is going to be the first panic move? For the Canucks, he then goes on to say, like two years ago, is we got to change the coach, and then last year was we got to change the coach again. <laughs> They're not going to change the coach because everyone's well, all two in years on. ago is also we got to change the management, right? Right. So um, I would say this might be the time where old Trader Jim channels through Patrick Alvin is like we got to shake this up with a good old fashioned hockey trade. Mm. I would not be surprised if that's. On the docket in the first two months of the season. But they don't have a big one to play. They don't have like... But Tockett... Or, sorry, Tockett. Rutherford never really had a big trade no, in but he had, season. But, no, but, but he had a move to make. He could fire the coach. Right. I think I think in this instance, it'll he'll have to shake up the room. And then honestly, that's going to be one of those last-ditch efforts. And look, I'm Hopefully just, it doesn't get to that I point. know. I'm just projecting out if they need to make that move, right? Everyone mm. understands that. We're just playing hypothetical games. Uh, David from Surrey, in response to Jason's question, I'm very skeptical on this team and what they can do. The young guys did not break down the door through training camp slash preseason. I think we are in store for a better start, but they are not going to dominate anyone besides maybe the San Jose and Anaheim teams. Yeah, the, the, the preseason, um, make what you will of it. Some people... Uh, lend weight to it. Some people just completely ignore the preseason. I don't think it was an encouraging preseason. I had this conversation with Reach. I said, I'm encouraged by the PK. It looks somewhat capable. Um, Goaltending's been good. That's a point. You got to say that at the very least. Mm-hmm. If you're going to play yeah. low event hockey, then it's going to probably be advantageous to your well, goalies, but they've, they've held up their end of the bargain. I just hope, Smith and Demko have been good. Yeah, and I hope the Canucks make it easier for those guys. Like they did not make it easier, easy for their goalies last season. But um, to David's point, that none of the young guys really knocked down the door. None of them did. No, like none of Pot Colson, not close. Uh, Holglander, I was optimistic. I was uh, hopeful for Holglander, but I, he just it's it's just not there consistently all the time. Like you still don't know what to expect from Hoaglander, and that's going to be a real problem if that is the case for this coaching staff because they want guys out there where they know what to expect from those guys. Sure, you know that's why Pod Colson is gone, right? Mm-hmm. They didn't know they they didn't trust him to carry out the game plan, and the game plan is very serious this year. Yep. I mean, I think that if you want to quibble or take issue with the lack of young guys seizing the opportunity and busting the door down and correlate that to a lack of organizational depth, I sure, I have time for that 100%. My de facto response is always like, yeah, but those guys aren't really going to decide the season anyway. But, but, I they might, but they might be the difference. They might be, but the, they difference, might be the difference, right? Between 90 and 95 points. But so that you could decide depth. whether or not the season's successful. Sure. God, imagine if one of their centers went out. 
No, don't want to do that. Right now, like, this is, again, this is what the team that they've constructed. They need Pedersen, Miller, Suter, and Bluger to be there all season long. You talk about the center depth, mm-hmm. right? One guy goes down, it suddenly becomes a problem. You kind of need, I guess, Nils Oman to be a versatile winger mm-hmm. on your team because he did show up and performed well. And well, here's he, a question I've got for you. How yes. many wingers do you love? How many wingers on the Canucks do you absolutely love? Love? Right. Like, in terms of you're like, okay, I like Kuzmenko, right? He scores goals. I have affinity for Brock Besser as a person. Okay, but, like, in the lineup, he's still a wild card. He's still a major question mark. McCabe's a question mark, if only because of his health. I like Kuzmenko a lot. I was very – he answered – Okay, after Kuzmenko, let's take him off the list. Yeah. Let's throw it out for the listeners. Like, who who do you really – of the wingers, who do you, like, really love in their spot? Coming into the season, you've been like, you know what? I like Dakota Joshua on the fourth line, but he's been disappointing. Yeah. Like, he's been the guy that – he's been the whipping boy for Rick Tockett. Who else do you like? Like, like, like I think the, I think when healthy, I think they're forward. The, I think the, I think you're looking at their forwards right now, and you're going, okay. I don't know if there's any like unexpectedly good stories here. It would be nice Who if are one the turned unexpected in? good stories. Yeah. Well, like you know, again, a lot of these guys, you kind of have an idea of what they are. You know what Beauvillier is. You know what Garland is. You know what DiGiuseppe is. You know what Besser is. DiGiuseppe's have been a good story. DiGiuseppe's but then you're still story. kind of like, yeah, do you want him in the top six, though, right? In a pinch, yes. Long term, no. Clark from Surrey, I feel like we're asking the same questions about their forwards. Same questions about Besser as in previous years. Hoagland or Pod Colson are the new Vertanen as we hope they figure it out and take the next step. The team needs better wingers to play with their second-line center. We saw how many years Horvat was stuck with plugs. Then we see a third line filled with fourth-line quality players. I do feel better about the defense, but then Clark tees off on Tyler Myers. is still there, and how long until he coughs up the puck in his own end? Yeah. Um, I do feel like we're asking the same questions about the forwards. We're asking a lot of similar questions because it's not a, like it's not close to a perfect team. I don't, and I don't think you'll get anyone pushing back on that. They're not built like an elite level squad. They're built like a team that's designed to, again, in Jim Rutherford's words, if everything goes right, get into the playoffs. So Tony texts in. I'd say overall, Patrick Alvin has improved the team. But there was more work required than could be completed in one off season. The That's lack, a fair assessment. The lack of roster depth. Well, two two off seasons apparently, because Patrick Alvin, <laughs> the previous off season, the lack last of last off season they were trying to clear cap space. Remember? Yeah, and they failed. Yeah. The lack of roster depth, the lack of a solid top four on defense, and lack of development of some of their draft picks are still pro- problems. But progress has been made on all of those issues. This season was always going to be determined by shoring up their defensive game, fixing a league-worst penalty kill, and having a bounce-back season for Thatcher Demko. That being said, I believe enough has been done on all fronts to take the Canucks to a wild-card playoff spot and give Petey enough hope to re-sign a second three-year bridge contract. I don't think he's going to sign a three-year contract. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows in this this crazy world? By the way... Um, the cap's going up. That was one of the big, as we talk about PD's next contract, that's obviously a big thing is that the cap is expected to land between, what was it? 87 and 88 million for next season, mm-hmm. which represents a pretty healthy bump given the last very small incremental bumps. That we've and that's seen. what the league has telegraphed 
all along that the cap was going to rise significantly, not this season, but next season. You know what else the league is telegraphed? <sighs> I Ex- don't like this. Expansion. Expansion is on the horizon. Now, you knew that this was going to be an inevitability, and I think it's going to be at every significant league meeting, be it Board of Governors or whatever else. Expansion is going to be at the forefront for a variety of reasons. One, it sounds like a lot more people want in on the NHL. Prospective owners are looking at this league and saying, man, so you're telling me that the second most recent expansion team has already won a Stanley Cup and the most recent expansion team (laughs) made it to the playoffs in their second year. That sounds interesting. Tell Mm -hmm. me more. And the other thing is Atlanta. It sounds like Atlanta is edging more and more towards an inevitability for getting a third kick at the can from the National Hockey League. Bill Daly and Gary Bettman both address this. Uh, in the during and then after the Board of Governors meetings. And Daly was a little bit more explicit, saying, like, we think that the issues that plagued Atlanta the first and second times yeah. are no longer there. Atlanta's a massive city. And it's, it's a the, hub. It's the home of TNT. TNT is now a broadcast partner. You have to look at these things, it's, right? It's one, of the, it's one of the biggest cities in the South, if not the biggest city It's a gigantic market, right? Yeah. Huge industry there, lots mm-hmm. of corporations. There's lots of money. Everyone's in Atlanta. This is of significance, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to ignore. Home of Coca-Cola. Right. And this is a big deal. And if you're talking about expanding your footprint, you're saying, look, I know it failed once. I know it failed twice. But the third time, just like marriage, the third time, we're definitely going to get it right. So can, can, right? I, can I say that I hate it? Sure. It's, I don't. I don't think it's good. I think it's too much too soon. No, no, no. I don't. I don't. I don't care about the league. I care about the Vancouver Canucks. And okay. if you keep adding teams, it gets incrementally harder for them to win a Stanley Cup. It's true. That is just basic right? it's statistics. Like the existential question: Like, am I ever going to see a Stanley Cup in Vancouver? You keep. You know, when I was growing up, there's 21 teams, and it was hard enough then. 21. Now there's going to be what 33 or 34 potentially. Like it just I mean, Atlanta like, sounds like 33, like it's going to happen. I don't know when, but it, it sounds like that's the next one, mm-hmm. right? And then at that point, you're like, do we have to go to 34 to make things even? Yeah. And the answer is probably yes, right? Because Like how many more, how, how many legitimate chances of winning the Stanley Cup where you go into the season, you're like, they could do it this year. Do you get over, a, I don't know, a 30-year period when there are 34 teams. Yeah, I mean... Like, every like every year in the tough. CFL is like, do you think the Lions could win the Grey Cup? I'm like, maybe. Yeah, There's like one, nine teams. Yeah, one, <laughs> eight eight, teams. one in eight yeah. chance. Right? I like my odds. Yeah, like, yeah, go to Halifax. I don't care. That's not going to, like, fundamentally change the odds. And one more team in the NHL isn't going to fundamentally change the odds. Like, it's already hard for the Canucks to win the Stanley Cup yeah. <laughs> for multiple reasons. But, you know, one of them being that there are so many teams in the NHL. I guess I just, like, I don't want any more. Well, I know. And now, I mean, the thing with NHL expansion teams is that, as I said, they become Stanley Cup contenders right off the bat, right? If they keep with these very, very favorable expansion processes and encouraging competitiveness right off the hop, yeah, you're not talking, well, they come in and they stink for a few years and then let's get back to that. Yeah, these teams come in and they're ready to go. (laughs) Seattle's already ahead of Vancouver. They've been around for two years. Right? You're looking up the standings at them. So Mike, the teacher, asked a question, and this is a good question considering all what we've talked about in this segment. Let me ask you something that I can't answer myself, Mike, the teacher writes. When will be the next Canucks game that actually matters? 
not a squeak into the playoffs round one game, but an actual this team can do something game. Because I can't see it anytime soon, and I've honestly felt this way for a long time. That's kind of what I'm talking about here. How many times actually in your lifetime do you get those games? Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about some of the teams in this area. Um, the Canucks, they played a few games that actually matter in their history for sure. They've played three games to win the Stanley Cup. They've lost them all. Well, they've played those games. When are we going to see the next one? I don't know. You know. A team like the Seattle Mariners? How many big games have the Mariners actually played? Yep. Not many. And that's why you get the frustration from that fan base when Jerry DePoto goes up there and talks about sustainability and winning 54% of your games and you know asking for more patience. And you're like, screw you, Jerry. If like- you ask a fan <laughs> what percentage of games do you want to see the team win, you know what they're going to say? 100. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's such a, but I get it. No, but the Seahawks, too. Like, when was the last, you know, I know they made the playoffs last season, but once that game started against the Niners, it was kind of like, all right. (laughs) You know, I still in the back of my mind when I watch the Seahawks, I'm like, I hope they win. I hope they make the playoffs. But I also look at the Niners and the Cowboys and the Eagles in the NFC, and I'm like, is you know is it what's what's this going to amount to? I mean, I don't want to go too off on a Seahawks tangent here, but what the Seahawks are trying to do right now is actually really difficult. Is they're trying to be relatively competitive while restocking, and that's hard to do, right? Most teams, it's we bought them out, we're bad, and we rebuild. Mm-hmm. The Seahawks, like Devin Witherspoon, looks like a star in the making, and he's doing it on a, t- a fringe playoff. Team. I think what the Seahawks are trying to do is exactly what they did. Before they got Russell Wilson, and it's super hard to do. And there's only like, and Schneider and Carroll, full credit to them for orchestrating it. But you know not, what I mean? Like yeah. they never like they never were like we're tanking or anything like that. They never really did any of that. They built a great defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they made some moves like bringing in Marshawn Lynch, yeah. and then I don't want to say Russell Wilson fell into their lap, but he was what a third round pick. Their I mean, plans weren't for him that season that he started for him to start, right? Who was there at that time? The, the, uh, Matt Flynn. Matt Flynn, yeah. right? And so they got fortunate with that, but they put themselves into a position where a guy like Russell Wilson came in and they already had a good team. Mm-hmm. So one of the big struggles that NFL teams have is like they tank and they're like, okay, we're going to go and get a quarterback. Did you? And then they draft that quarterback in a top five or top ten pick and then they're like, uh, wait a minute. We suck. Yeah, and our quarterback is getting murdered on yeah, a basis. Right? Well, it's happening in Carolina right now. Mm-hmm. Bryce Young's already hurt. The offensive line stinks. The rest of the team stinks. CJ Stroud looks So good. to bring it back to the question about like when will the next big Canucks game be? I'm kind of with Mike the teacher. Like I don't I don't I hope it's soon. I hope it's this year. But I but I <laughs> I hope it's this year. I hope they play for the cup this year. No, you know what I hope, honestly, is I hope that when the deadline rolls around that we're talking about buying, and then once the deadline is done, they're talking about games like, this is a big game to make the playoffs tonight. That would be nice. I'm not asking too much, am I, Mike the teacher? I don't think I'm asking too much. We got to go to break, by the way. We got Thomas Drantz coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. And then what we learns humanoid edition with an added bonus, a caveat, if you will. If you put a rose emoji... Into your what we learned, Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650, hashtag it WWL. The rose emoji will enter you into the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to see Guns and Roses on October 16th at BC Place. Text away, 
Get yours in today. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.